Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. This is the podcast where we recap the fiction story of Magic the Gathering and add our own flavor texts and reactions. We have all been waiting for this. After three full seasons, we are in the finale of the Phyrexian arc. Today, we start the main story of season four, which follows the story of March of the Machine. All right, y'all, this is intense. I am so excited for this season. It's epic, it's complex, it's action-packed. We journey beyond Dominaria, beyond New Phyrexia even, and the invasion has breached the blind eternities. And this season, we venture through the entire multiverse. March of the Machine, I can tell, is gonna be monumentally significant. I can't wait to dive into our first main episode of the story, Triumph of the Fleshless by Kay Arsenal Rivera. Join us as we head into the multiverse. So in recent magic story, meaning in the last five years or so, our fiction has been about following individual tales and planes and characters from set to set. And they eventually come together in some sort of epic event that transcends the individual planes. The last time we saw something like this was War of the Spark, where our planeswalkers from across the multiverse had to come together in order to defeat a villain named Nicol Bolas. Here we are again in March of the Machine, an epic event where the Phyrexians have literally begun to invade the entire multiverse. Our planeswalkers are faced with a threat, Elish Nor, the likes of which none of them have ever seen before. So before we jump into what's happening next, Natalie, can you remind us how we got here? So in season one, we followed the events of a set called Dominaria United, which was the beginning of what we're calling the Phyrexian Arc. And in this story, we followed our planeswalker named Karn, who was trying to unlock the mysteries of an artifact called the Silex, and also prove to everyone that the Phyrexians were indeed still a threat. And he ended up being right, because right away he ran into Shieldred, which ended up being our big bad for uh, Dominaria United. This ultimately led to a big collision of our planeswalkers against the Phyrexians and Shieldred on the mana rig. And in this battle, we lost Jaya. We lost a Johnny who ended up being a sleeper agent. And we met tons of influential characters such as Joda, Joyra, and Teferi. And then we journeyed into the Brothers' War in season two. And this followed our planeswalker friend Teferi as he was trying to solve the mysteries of the past in order to be able to operate the Silex. And in order to find this secret, he had to navigate the cataclysmic events of the Brothers' War. And in season two, the Brothers' War of this podcast, we met planeswalkers such as Sahili, who is a very powerful artificer, and she has actually recreated a Silex for our planeswalkers to be able to use. And just to quickly clarify about what I mean when I say met, I mean it's the first time we talk about them in the story on this podcast, not necessarily that they're new to magic in general, because Sahili has been in previous magic sets before Dominaria United, and same is true for many of our other characters. So just quickly clarifying, when I say that we meet someone for the first time, I mean usually that we've met them for the very first time on this podcast. 
Um, and so after we meet Sahili, there's this big battle at Urza's tower against the Phyrexians. And this is also where we met for the first time in the podcast characters such as Elspeth and Kaya and Vivian and Chandra and Nyssa and Ren and Seven and so many great planeswalkers who all fought at Urza's tower. And so and at the end of season two, Teferi was literally ripped out of time and he had this uh, very, a very important moment with Urza in order to understand the secrets of the Silex. So they have a Silex now and they know how to use it. And so last season in season three, Phyrexia all will be one. It was the assault on New Phyrexia. Our planeswalkers actually went to New Phyrexia with a plan to take the Silex, take it straight down to the Seed Core, and just take down Elish Norn. Pretty straightforward, except everything just went from bad to worse last season. Uh, we met the Mirren Resistance, who wasn't, who was barely hanging on to begin with. Um, we learned that the Mirrodin Plain was just gone. The Phyrexians have completely taken over. We lost Braska, our Gorgon Planeswalker. We lost Jace Bellerin to Phyrexia. We lost Nahiri. We lost Nyssa. We lost Luca. And we met tons of other planeswalkers who survived this, such as Tyvar Kel, Kaito, the Wanderer. And then at the very end, Elspeth actually killed a Phyrexianized Jace and planeswalked away with a detonating Silex. And she is now missing. We don't know where Elspeth is. And then Elish Norn, our big bad, our the the mother of machines, has completed something called the Realm Breaker, which is a modified version of Kaldheim's World Tree, in order to breach the Blind Eternities and basically have access to the entire multiverse. And at the very end of the last season, the invasion had begun. And reminder for those of you who aren't super familiar with magic. The Blind Eternities is kind of the space in between planes, and it's where planeswalkers go when they planeswalk, when they go from one plane to another. It's literally like the physical space that they can occupy while they're moving from one plane to another. So this is really bad because this means that now the Phyrexians have access to every single other plane that they want to have access to. And reminder, that's every single plane. So this is bad news. Okay, so getting into the first episode of March of the Machine. We start this episode from Elish Norn's perspective. And I have to say, while this was very, very cool, and I super appreciated getting this perspective, reading how she views things, how callous she is, gave me actual chill bumps and not in a good way. Yeah, and I I had a similar reaction to Harless. I was blown away by the first sentence that, are we truthfully getting Elish Norn's perspective? You know, she is she is the mother of machines, all that she's done up to this point. She's our big bad. But this just proves how well magic does with their villains. And I've said it many times on this podcast, but I'm highlighting it again that good storytelling is reliant on a well-constructed villain. And magic has done this so exceptionally many, many times. And I have to say, I'm going to say that Elish Norn is kind of my favorite villain and favorite meaning... I think the best written, it doesn't mean that I'm like totally on her side. I am definitely not on her side. I just mean that she was, she's just so well written and so dynamic and truthfully a character. And we kind of get to see it in this episode. It's almost like weaponizing logic is yes. how she acts. And it's really interesting to see, like I said, that from her perspective and just really get into this space where you're going, uh-huh, okay, that's logical. 
that's horrible. It's logic, like the logic doesn't make it okay in so many times, in so many instances with her. Anyway, it, it um, reminds me of the episode last season where we were from Ixel's perspective and it was written in a second perspective and we were forced to see the perspective of a Phyrexian. And in the moment, you are the Phyrexian. You don't really question it. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. So to your point, Harless, seeing Elish Norn's perspective is definitely that. It's like, oh yeah, from Elish Norn's perspective, it makes perfect sense. And, and you know, from her perspective, she is right. But us as listeners and as readers, we're just kind of, oh no. <laughs> yeah, but this so. one actually differentiates itself from Excel's story really quickly for me, because if you remember, Excel's story starts with the dross pits stink, right? Excel is already like, ugh, th- this place isn't great, right? Like it could be better. It, I wish it was all like the Fair Basilica, which is kind of a non-Phyrexian thought because everything Phyrexians do should be perfect and wonderful and you should love it. But with this story, this story, well, I'll just read it to you. Here's how this story begins. It is good to be a Phyrexian. It is good to be Elish Norn. This has always been true but never more so than now. Um, yeah, we knew Elish Norn was self-centered and a complete tyrant before, but yeah, this is just further proof that she is that. And Elish Norn sees Phyrexia as a unifier, that all who bend to her will are happier and stronger. She truly believes that. It is the pull, the lie of Phyrexianization that, when you become Phyrexianized, you lose your sense of self from before. You are, a, you become a vessel, a creation of Phyrexia that truthfully believes Phyrexia is the way, the only way to be. So when Elish Norn looks down at Kaya, Kaito, and Tyvar, this is just moments after we left off that last episode of last season, by the way, we're standing right before the Realm Breaker in Elish Norn's throne room in the Seed Core of Mirrodin. And Elish Norn thinks to herself, how misguided they are. If they submit, she could do away with all their faults. And then she goes on to say, discord lives within the hearts of the non-believers. Even when they are so few, they are never truly unified. If only they could see that. We, the readers, know Kaya, Tyvar, and Kaito would never fall for the tricks of the Phyrexians. They don't see it the way Elish Norn does. So it's almost cathartic to hear Kaya yell, go to hell to Elish Norn. Just goes to show there will always be fight left in our planeswalkers. Even after such a devastating development, Elish Norn thinks their fight is futile, but we readers cheer for them despite all that. And then Norn flicks her wrist and these portals start to open. The Realm Breaker breaches five planes all at once. I'm going to quote for you here. Five irises open on five alternate worlds. No matter how their skies started, warm violet, slate gray, or coal black, they now pulse with red light. Phyrexian symbols blaze among the clouds. It is from these portals that she now watches the invasions. Realm Breaker's massive barbed-tipped limbs burst forth, anchoring themselves wherever they please. Rivers of blessed oil run into the earth. Pods fly from the secured barbs, soaring in all directions, but always in perfect sync. Some birth centurions, some birth golems, and some lie in wait for the lost souls they will soon become. To the three lost creatures before her, 
A sunrise is beautiful. Phyrexia knows better. Thousands of mouths speaking with one voice. Thousands of eyes with a single vision. Thousands of minds with only one thought. That is beauty. Is it, though? Is it, though? <laughs> like, the more she speaks, the more I go, oh, wow, you are very single-minded. And it's just, she really does want everyone to be in her image. And this really, truly, like Nat said, is the definition of a tyrant. So Elish Norn asks if they've ever seen such unity before. And before anyone can answer, Luca interrupts, saying that they, meaning the Phyrexianized planeswalkers in her company, including him, have done as she, Norn, asked. And Luca is disgusting, I think is the best word <laughs> to say it. Like, I know that's harsh, but I mean that pretty literally here. So Luca was Phyrexianized in a side story that we did not cover last season. And his Phyrexianization has turned him into a monstrosity. And one of our surviving planeswalkers actually starts retching at the very sight of him. And Luca's described as having a rough around the edges appearance. <laughs> uh, rough around the edges. We're quoting Elish Norn when we say that. And that is Norn's very casual way of saying that he must be this half organic, totally gross mess of grotesque limbs. So just to quickly summarize what happened with Luca, he actually has this ability. He's a planeswalker with an ability to connect with animals, with beasts. And he connected with a Phyrexian beast when he and Nyssa were pulled away into something called the level of the uh, Mirrodin called the Hunter's Maze, which we, like I said, didn't cover in our last season. He has melded together with this beast and has these like extremely jagged like limbs coming out of him. And I mean, if you want to go look at the art for this, it's on a card called Luca Bound to Ruin. And it is just... It's shocking. It's shocking. It's thorny. It's like, it's interesting. Like he's the, it's a, it's a green red card. And so there's like the nature elements of him almost look like thorns and everything else is just like spikes and limbs. And he has one limb that almost looks like a praying mantis or like a grasshopper arm in the uh on the side there it's uh like it's just horrifying truly i mean to the point like i said someone tries to throw up like that's pretty bad when you see your friend and it makes you want to vomit so anyway none of this matters to elish norton she just sees him as another tool in her army and she says in regards to his rough edges they'd smooth these soon enough he's a shining example of the future that awaits him flesh trembles at its own destruction it's only natural I know for us on the podcast, we got very little time with Luca. We don't really know him at the, at the beginning of this episode. We don't really know him. And especially if you've joined us just for these last three seasons on the podcast. Magic first introduced to Luca with Ikoria, Lair of Behemoths, where Ikoria is his home plane. And for me personally, Luca is difficult to like to begin with. He's very complicated. His characters. His character is one of those like Tezzeret where you kind of hate him and love him all at the same time. He can be very abrasive and not too charming and sometimes too headstrong. But this, what's happened to him in this moment, no one, I mean, no one deserves this fate. It is horrible. I feel so strongly for Luca in this moment. I am appalled and saddened and so angry at Elish Norn for doing this to him. Yeah, honestly, same. And speaking of appalled and saddened and angry, this scene just gets worse. 
my heart just shatters because Norton turns to her holy evangels, which is how she's referring to the planeswalkers taken by Phyrexia, and Jace, wholly taken by Phyrexia at this point, of course surviving Elspeth's blade through his back, slips off because he knows what Norn wants before she has to say anything. Ugh! Oh, no, it's just wrong. It's wrong. I know. I hate that Ellis Norn has the mind link with Jace now. It just feels corrupt and honestly slimy and really terrible. So four others stay beside Norn once Jace leaves. A Johnny, the Leonin Planeswalker, Atraxa, Phyrexian Praetor, Luca, who we just described, and Nahiri, who is that Lithomancer who can uh, handle all the like metal around her with her powers, which is really cool because, again, this plane is completely made of metal. And they trail behind the others. Between them, they're carrying Shieldred. And Elishnorn describes Shieldred here as, Out of her armor, she is pathetic and small, an overgrown newt who once dreamed of praetordom. All of Phyrexia knew she was only a pretender to the title. Now it's finally laid bare. Essentially, what happens next from here is that our surviving planeswalkers try to escape. So that's Kaya, Kaito, and Tybar, our survivors. But Nahiri restrains them. Norn wants them to witness what she does next. Shieldred, having failed in her invasion on Dominaria, and remember Shieldred was our big bad in Dominaria United in season one, Shieldred pays the ultimate price. She is executed here by Ajani's axe, just beheaded. And then her body is taken into, quote, processing, because another quote, one mustn't waste perfectly good parts. They will serve Phyrexia as Shieldred could not. Uh, Phyrexia is just so like disgusting in the way that they view everyone as a thing. You know, Shieldred was this extremely powerful Phyrexian. And now she's just diminished to a pile of parts. Yeah, I'd, like I was thinking about this, Harless, and I think that what you just described right there is what makes Phyrexia so gross to us. Like as humans, that is is this very thing, that the individual suddenly doesn't matter to them. You are rendered into an obsolete thing that just serves a greater purpose. And all of your personality, all that makes you who you are, your ambitions, your your quirks, your strengths, none of it truly matters in the face of for what is one Phyrexia. And I think that's what makes it so gross to us is because it it just renders everything that makes us human and beautiful obsolete. Yeah, absolutely agreed. So Norn goes on addressing these evangels and invaders to tell them that Phyrexia will awaken the multiverse from its slumber and that others will come to know the ecstasy of Phyrexia as you do. She turns to the evangels and tells them that they will first unite their homelands. She starts with Nahiri, who tells her about Zendikar. And Nissa, well, I'll, I'll let the story tell you what Nissa does. Nyssa is the finest gift the planeswalkers have given Phyrexia. Even standing at Norn's side, she can steer Realmbreaker's attention. If things continued at this rate, she might overtake Tamio as Norn's favorite new servant. So Nyssa can wield the Realmbreaker. Such is her gift as a planeswalker. We saw it at the end of the Brothers' War and the attack on Urza's Tower, where she had actually brought forth the natural world, the spirits of the plane itself, to her command. Well, that's not unnerving at all. So Nyssa, using the Realm Breaker, opens up a new portal to show Elish Norn Zendikar. Since we have yet to see Zendikar on this podcast, just a brief explanation. 
Zendikar is a plane ruled by something called the Royal, which is a type of chaotic natural energy that makes the plane almost hostile and it's constant churning. There's pieces of the plane that float in this beautiful chaotic energy. And the last time we were on Zendikar, Nahiri had discovered an ancient weapon, a way to dominate the plane. Unfortunately, this pleases Elish Norn, and Nahiri's purpose is now clear. So Nahiri then planeswalks away to Zendikar. Next, Elish Norn turns to Luca. He vows something similar, that he will bring the great beasts that live on his home plane of Ikoria into the Phyrexian fold. During this interaction, Elish Norn notes something about Luca's character. Pieces of his individuality remarkably kind of remain, and Luca's personality is a bit, it tends to be a bit selfish. Of course, that does not fit with the unity of Phyrexia, but for now, Norn lets it be. So then Luca planeswalks away for Ikoria. Next, Norn turns to Tamiyo, who shows her the realm of Kamigawa. Despite the portals in the sky of Kamigawa, the people here go about their normal lives. Elish Norn ponders on their pointlessness a moment, watching people mill about the cityscapes contained within their beautiful pocket of the multiverse. They see a man eating a food stand and a mother walking with her children, totally at ease. Do you love Kamigawa? Norn asks Tamiyo, who replies, I did. A land of heroes and scoundrels, betrayers and champions. It seemed there were a thousand possibilities for how life might change in the future. I wanted to see them all. And I wanted to discover, with my family, which one was true. Now I love what it will become. Then Elish Norn asks Tamiyo if she still cares for her family. And Tamiyo watches a woman with her children on Kamigawa, oblivious to the menacing threat watching them. And she pauses she hesitates here and then she answers she says i want them to understand what i've come to know about the world about unity if we are all completed then we never need be apart again so obviously this response pleases elish norn immensely and she sends then in her invasion careening into kamigawa through the portals and i quote here realm breaker pierces the earth tiered buildings shudder and shed their layers Whole floors tumble away. All around the tiles are falling like jagged porcelain snow. In only an instant, the small food stand is crushed. Red spills from beneath, joining the babbling water. The mother picks up her children, one in the crook of each arm, and runs. And Tamiyo hesitates, watching a man in black streak into view and save the mother and children from falling debris. After that, Atraxa flies over to Tamiyo, screeching about Tamiyo's insolence. She had hesitated at Norn's order to go and invade Kamigawa herself. Tamiyo is startled, as if from a reverie, exclaiming she didn't know what had come over her. See whatever it is, you eradicate it, Norn tells her. There can be no space for it. Return with Kamigawa under your control, or be recycled into something that serves me better. And Tamiyo replies, as you wish. And this time she doesn't hesitate before planeswalking for Kamigawa. And can I just say that this was absolutely heartbreaking to me? Like Tamiyo is looking at Kamigawa, which is not only her home plane, it's this bustling, thriving, living city where so many people live. And I just can't help but have hope that her hesitation here is around what she's being ordered to do. Because I just love Kamigawa and I'm, <laughs> I'm really sad about what I think is about to happen. After Tamiyo goes... Elish Norn turns next to Ajani. 
At first, he assumes Norn wants to know his birthplace so that he can conquer it. But Norn here says Ajani is destined for greater things. Seeming to know inherently what Norn is after, he says Theros. And so Nyssa, with the Realmbreaker, shows them Theros. And I quote here, There are no trees to be seen here, but the roots find purchase all the same. Pods deploy before the tree has finished its work. So eager is Phyrexia to lay claim to this place. And a tremendous battle, a massacre, ensues on Theros. Temples are torn down. Cityscapes crumble. Farmlands just eradicated. Norn and Ajani just watch from the portals. And Ajani even remarks, It seems our forces are doing well without me. The battle escalates and Elishnor notices a statue atop one of Theros' temples. She sees, and I quote, a hand swathed in the shifting black of the night sky, dripping rivers onto its steps, and realizes that there's something guarding this plane. It's part woman and part something else, but a creature of that size is going to be absolutely paramount to the Phyrexian invasion. Something that big is something that Elishnorn wants. And then she tells Johnny that he's to bring that statue, that woman woman slash statue into Phyrexian's embrace. And that is his mission. And Johnny just nods a smile out of his muzzle and says, ah, now I see. It is the gods you are after. So here, Norn is surprised to hear that these are the gods. But regardless, she is insistent on them joining the fold of becoming Phyrexianized. They will be defeated and unified in her glory. Ah, uh, no, just, just no. Just no, no, no. Yes. No, thank you. All will be one, Harless. Did they get you, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> I was a sleeper right, so agent this whole time. No, I'm kidding. This whole time. <laughs> I knew it. I didn't know. I would never know. I would I would be so oblivious. I'd be like, la, la, this is just my friend doing fun things. Oh my God, she's murdering me. <laughs> and I just want to point out that this moment, it, it just, it emphasizes how unprecedented this all is. So, and for all of you out there, if you've joined up with Following Magic recently or started getting into the story with us here on the podcast, for the entirety of the history of magic, that's 30 years worth of story and lore, it is vast and never has the multiverse been split open like this. Never before has someone been able to grasp powers and entities across planes with just a flick of her wrist. Each plane has its own set of powerful things, as you just saw with the Theros gods. Each plane has its own set of powerful things. Each plane dangerous and spectacular and unique. And we have never, ever seen it suddenly collide together like this where the idea of the Theros gods and the Kami of Kamigawa and the Royal of Zendikar and the beasts of Ikoria could become one. This is a chilling concept. This is changing everything, overturning every rule about the multiverse. And Elish Norn is going to be the mother of it all. <laughs> so she commands Ajani to go to Theros to bring the gods to her, and he goes off to do just that. Now, as we reach the end of this episode, Elishnorn commands Nyssa to show her new Capenna through the Realmbreaker. Now, new Capenna is our city plane. It's like this giant metropolis. It's 
really alive and vibrant and just this shining city. And it has this ancient, mysterious history with angels. Now, Ellis Norn's final command is to Atraxa, her prime praetor under her command. She tells Atraxa to teach these people the price of their insolence. They could have joined our ranks once, but they will no longer find any such mercy from us. You will harvest them all. In addition to this, Elishnorn also commands Atraxa to bring an end to the halo's source, to destroy its wellspring, annihilate the angelic foundations in which it came. Oh, halo. That was that substance Elspeth had last season, and we know it can repel Phyrexian influence. And Elspeth had vials of it, but they all got destroyed when Nahiri broke open Mirrodin. Now, Atraxa wonders why she has been tasked with this. Going to a poisonous place to her, to Atraxa, this place is poisonous. So why her? Why not the Centurions? And Elish Norn replies that there exists a danger to New Phyrexia. In killing New Capenna, we strike at her heart. So I'm just going to repeat that again. In killing New Capenna, we strike at her heart. Wait a second. Whose home plane is New Capenna? Elspeth. So Elish Norn is afraid of Elspeth? Yes, and this is confirmed at the very end. So the last sentence of this episode, after Atraxa leaves her new Capenna through the Realm Breaker, this is what the story says. With a gesture, she, Elishnorn, calls for her attendants. They arrive to recite her own thoughts and teachings to her. In their screeching voices, Elishnorn forgets her nightmares and the woman who stalks them, cloaked in white. Cloaked in white. That's Elspeth. It has to be. But my question is... Why is Elish Norn afraid of Elspeth? That is such a great question, and I can't wait to find out. But unfortunately, we are out of time for today's episode. Oh my gosh, so much has happened. Norn's evangels have started their invasion across the multiverse. This is very, very dire. Also, Kaya, Kaido, and Tyvar witnessed all of this and managed to escape. So what are they going to do now? What's their plan? Who else are they going to be able to turn to for help? We are only getting started. March of the Machine is 10 episodes long, so stay tuned for our next episode to drop soon. As always, you can read this story and many more at mtgstory.com. And if you liked this episode, please, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It does so much for us. Thank you so much and see you next time. Have Have a magical magical day. day.